Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible Study Wednesday. We're going to be taking a look at Proverbs 17 on this January the 25th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at Proverbs chapter 17. Last week, we began with verse 7, and we went up to verse 12. What did verse 12 say? Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Now, we took a look at that, and that's what we want to start off with today. What does that mean? Because the task of the pastor is to help explain also what the English means. You don't want to meet a she-bear who is robbed of her cubs. She's going to be really angry. And people are told, stay away from the cubs. But according to God, that is less of a problem than meeting a fool in his folly. Now, a fool in his folly refers to an unbeliever in his folly, in his foolishness, in his, in his stupidity in thinking about God. And our country is filled with fools in their folly today, living lifestyles that are contrary to the word of God and telling us, oh, well, we can do that because we love one another. No, you don't love one another. You really look forward to the desires of the flesh. And that is quite different than proper love. So that was interesting that a she-bear who has lost her cubs is a less danger than meeting an unbeliever in his folly. We, we see this today in some colleges where young people get away from their parents and they begin to do things that are contrary to the will of God. And they get others to join with them in doing those things. And so if you are a student at a college, we, we pray that you'll continue to attend a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church in the area and hear the word of God and be strengthened by the Holy Spirit not to be involved with fools in their folly. Because verse 13 of Proverbs 17 indicates the problem of being joined with a fool in his folly. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Now, another way of looking at that uh, translation, if anyone repays evil for good, which means somebody is kind to you, but you turn it into maliciousness against them. This, of course, occurs in many countries outside of the United States, where Christians attempt to be kind to others 
but instead they come under violence, death, and other problems. Because in some countries, Christianity is considered to be against the law. So what happens when you do good in these countries and they return evil to you, evil will not depart from their houses. Now, evil, of course, can refer to the Satan himself, the devil. And therefore, someone who is an unbeliever is really in the kingdom of Satan. And therefore, he is moved by what Satan has to say. We, we saw that clearly with Adam and Eve. No, 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 you will not die. You will become like God. And, and that's an important note to have you understand, that every time you sin, you are trying to become like God. You are your own God. This is why the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, means we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. God does not permit a worship of another God. And another God doesn't just necessarily mean an idol that you made out of metal and you then worship it and kiss it and sacrifice human beings to it. Uh, that's what's found in passages of the Bible that people do, uh, particularly in Hosea uh, chapter 13. God becomes a she-bear, and he does that to protect his people from fools in their folly. But if anyone returns evil for good, take a look at movies where criminals are doing things all the time. The household is filled with evil. There's argumentation among the criminals. They also cannot trust one another. Say three criminals rob a bank and they're arrested. It's not at all unusual that one of the criminals, in order <clears throat> to get a lighter sentence, will say, okay, I'll tell you what happened. And the police will say, or the prosecuting attorney, yes, if you give us information, we'll give you a lighter sentence. And so they betray their friends. That is an evil that the friends think is an evil because they're being betrayed. So if anyone returns evil for good, in other words, if you repay kindness with maliciousness, evil will never leave your house. Verse 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Now, I saw a YouTube movie recently of dams that hold back water, but for one reason or another, the water broke through the dams. And the video showed how towns drowned under the water, how many people died. So in other words, verse 14 is saying this, 
the beginning of strife, the, the beginning or the starting of a quarrel is like opening a floodgate at a dam. It says is like letting out water. And that's what would be in the minds of the people in Solomon's day. Floods were very hard to overcome and many people died in them. So God is comparing a quarrel you have with someone that isn't necessary as opening a floodgate at a dam. And therefore, he says, quit before the quarrel breaks out. Now, I've been involved with a lot of churches in visiting with them, in staying with them. And though there are not many, I can think of one or two that had quarrels that had nothing to do with theology. Uh, they were quarrels over whether or not they should decide what color the rug is going to be in the church. Some people say white, other people say red, other people say blue, and there's divisions in the church. Now, when there are quarrels over theology, then that's a real problem. I've had situations where members of the congregation disagreed with me when I would not commune their friends who had not been confirmed. They were even members of another denomination that did not believe in the Lord's Supper as it was stated. So it's very clear from 1 Corinthians 11 that some people were getting sick and dying because of the way they were looking in a wrong way towards the Lord's Supper. So at the congregation I'm at, I have people come up to me and they say, can we take the Lord's Supper? And what I've done is had what we call an adult instruction with these people. Now, an adult instruction course can, well, some people do it in one day. I don't know how they do it in one day. They say, well, if you come next Saturday between 10 and 2 in the afternoon, we'll tell you about what we believe, and we'll even serve you lunch. No, I've gone up to 20 weeks in adult instruction. I mean, it takes a while to go through the Ten Commandments because a lot of people don't believe that they break the Ten Commandments. But we need to remember we break them by thought and word as well as by deed. And so all of these are sins before God. And those need to be explained before you get to the creed, which talks about how God saved us from our breaking of the Ten Commandments. And then baptism, the Lord's Supper, as part of your adult instruction, explains the means by which God transferred to you Christ's righteousness, his holiness. You are declared to be righteous, not because you are righteous in the sense of your good works, but because you believe the promises of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, rose from the dead for your salvation.
So quarrels or arguments in the church can become serious. Members of the church may leave a church. Often on my radio program on KFUO for coming up to 26 years now, I've talked to people who say, no, I left the church I was at. I always ask them, why did you leave the church? And I find it interesting that when they give me the reasons, I say, you know, I would have left that church also. I was watching a kind of a movie. It was a documentary on the Amish. And the Amish really believe that we are in trouble because of our sins. Well, that's a real problem from the Bible's point of view also. But the way this particular Amish family was to overcome their trouble is by their good works. I indicated already that I had a member come to me just recently in church and say, he had gone to a friend who wasn't Lutheran, but he had asked him, are you saved? The friend said, yes, I am saved. And then the member of our congregation asked him, why are you saved? And his friend said, because of my good works. And it gave a real opportunity for a selfish reason. That's what the Bible says. So, verse 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both like an abomination. Luther wrote a series of theses in 1518 called the Heidelberg Disputation. And this was one of those where he made principles of the distinctions between law and gospel. And he said, one of the problems is that there are those who say that evil is good, or they say that good is evil. So how does that work in the church where you would say that evil is good? Well, look how many today and even in some of our universities thinks that the goal of the church is to supervise society, to make it better, to get rid of the sins in society so that you no longer have racism, you no longer have war, you no longer have the poor. But Jesus makes pretty clear in the Bible that that is never going to happen. You will have wars and rumors of war. The poor will be with you always. And because of the sin in the world, there will be catastrophes of weather, like tsunamis, earthquakes, floods, volcanoes tornadoes, hurricanes. So when you say that something is evil that is really good, that is the opposite 
of saying what is good is evil. A lot of people will say that the Christian church, even though we say the good things from God's word, and that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. How does God think about how you are to live your life? And he gives you a lot of interesting information about what is right and what is wrong from his point of view. But when people hear that, they say, well, you may think it's good, but that's really evil. And they reverse it, as well as saying that evil things that they are doing, they think are good. I mean, what person goes ahead and steals from someone while they are thinking, oh, this is a terrible thing I'm doing. It's going to, well, produce evil in my house forever. No, nobody thinks that way. When, when you do a sin, you do it because you think it's going to make you happy. You do a sin because you think, well, this is a good thing, but it is not. And that's why Solomon teaches his son and the nation what is good, what is bad. And he even has said that whoever covers an offense, he is seeking love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And therefore, if you are a believer and you have a reprimand from God, you understand how serious it is and it impresses you. And that is how you repent of your sins. A reprimand from God to the faithful, according to, as we looked at it, verse 10, is better than a hundred blows into a fool because they will not change their message. So, if you think that justifying the wicked or condemning the righteous is correct, recognize that is an abomination to the Lord. And the word abomination means that God detests that. Very important to take a look at the Beatitudes, for example, from Matthew 5. They, they say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, evil people, they don't want to be poor in spirit. They want to be strong. But poor in spirit, from God's point of view, means that you really don't have the strength, the ability to offset your sins. There's nothing you can give to God to balance out your sins. Therefore, Christians are poor in spirit, but we recognize that, and that's why we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. So that's what verse 15 is talking about. If you declare evil to be good or good to be evil, that's detested by the Lord. I mentioned recently on the program I was listening to an evangelist who said that because he has 
faith, he will never come down with COVID because it is only those who don't have faith that get COVID. I wonder what he's going to do at a funeral of one of his members who dies from this COVID disease. What's he going to say? Oh, they really didn't have COVID. They had some other disease. Well, where does he get in the Bible that faith only takes care of COVID and doesn't take care of chickenpox or mumps or, well, epilepsy or heart problems? No, the fact of the matter is this evangelist will die and he will die here on earth. His flesh will be buried unless judgment day comes early. And he will die from old age or from a disease. So it is wrong to say that if you have proper faith, you are protected from disease. That's a sin to say that. I was looking at that Amish program And when they came from overseas, their Bible was written in a form of German, which they still use. The problem is many of the Amish don't understand that German, but they're so strong in staying with what the original Amish did, they will not read an English Bible. And therefore, they will not really understand what the Bible has to say because their Bibles are written in that German, which is hard to understand for contemporary Amish. Verse 16, why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Wow. That reminds me of another saying of Jesus. Do not throw pearls to the swine. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, the swine are pigs, and let's say the pigs are really hungry. If you throw pearls at them, they will not eat them. They will not feed on them. They will not be nourished by them. And therefore, A swine is referred to here as an unbeliever. And giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ, why are you telling them that when they don't have faith to believe it, when he has no sense? One has to do what John the baptizer does. Before a hearing of the gospel, they need to hear the law and their need for being saved by Jesus Christ. They need to be saved because they can't offset their own sins by their good works. Therefore, if they don't have the mind to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, there needs to be a teaching, and that occurs in adult instruction with the teaching of the Ten Commandments, the creed, etc. 
In fact, there's a very interesting verse in the Old Testament from Isaiah chapter 53, uh, I'm sorry, 55, verses 1 to 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That is the essence of the Christian faith, is that we receive what we need without having to pay for it. It's a free gift. That's what is meant by God's grace. He graciously gives to you freely that which you don't deserve, which is the forgiveness of sins. The idea of thirsting we saw when Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. They, at the beginning of their journeys, they were very thirsty. So what did God do? He had Moses hit a rock and enough water came out of the rock to feed a million people. Then they did not have bread. And so God rained down manna from heaven. And that continued, by the way, for 40 years until God had them enter into the land of Canaan. And when that occurred, no more manna rained down from heaven because there was plenty of food and meat and fruit in Cana. And remember, also in the wilderness, they got hungry for meat. So God sent birds into their area to feed them. And all of this was without price. The price paid for your forgiveness was not done by you. It was done by Jesus Christ. It's the difference between living under the law where you try and save yourself and living under the gospel where you recognize Jesus has saved you. More on tomorrow's Law and Gospel. God bless Listen you. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.